Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Praise God. Open your Bibles to Mark 16. In our special Resurrection Day Easter message today, we're continuing with our Beyond series. Amen. We talked about getting beyond shame in the first week through Pastor Andre's wonderful message. Last week, we talked about getting beyond the pain of the past. So we can pick up where we left off. Let's go to Mark 16. And your beyond challenge for this week is to join a faith group. But also, we have these cards in the back. The ushers and the hostess will give it to you after today's experience. We call them the rat cards, which are random act of kindness. So what we want you to do over this next week, whether you're going to Chick-fil-A or Starbucks and you're in the drive-thru, get what's for you, but also buy what's for the person behind you and leave this card. If you're going out to eat at a restaurant today or sometime this week, overly tip. Now let me define that for a second. And then all of those who are waiters and waitresses or used to be can say amen really loudly to this. You shouldn't be tipping below 18% anyways. One more time, not even the message yet, and y'all quiet. You shouldn't be tipping below 18% anyways. If you're going out to eat, you plan to tip well, amen? So 18 to 20% is not something you do just because they did a wonderful job. 18 to 20% is not something you just do because they did a wonderful job. But if you're going to drop one of these cards, up it. Ask the Lord, what restaurant should I go to today so I can encounter someone that I can bless their socks off? Then drop one of these cards down. Look for opportunities to manifest the goodness and the kindness and the love of God this week. Give them this card and let them know. It's not because I'm some awesome person. It's because Jesus loves you just like he loves me. Amen? So we have these cards afterwards. Now, if you want to download today's notes, they're on the Bible app. You can go to the live events section and download. And also, this podcast is for free, so it'll upload by Tuesday if you subscribe to it. So Mark 16, verse 1. You can also get the message for free online. Mark 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they may come and anoint him. And very early in the morning of the first day of the week, They came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? Now, the very act that they're coming to anoint the body of Jesus, yes, it's an act of adoration and love, but it's an act of unbelief. Right? Jesus told his disciples and followers over and over again, on the third day I will rise again. But they came to anoint his body for burial. They did not believe he was alive. No one did. And so in their mind, the problem was the stone. Who will roll away the stone? That is the biggest problem of our life right now. How can we anoint the dead body of Jesus because a stone is in the way? It was a great stone, it was huge, they couldn't move it by themselves, and it was sealed by the Roman Empire that if you break the seal, you have offended the state of Rome and you can be killed. The greatest obstacle in their mind right now is the stone, not even to mention the guards in front of the stone. 
But that was not the greatest problem that morning. I submit to you today the greatest problem was unbelief. What do you believe? So let's go back just a couple weeks before this Sunday morning and go to John 11. What do you believe? It is a question that's central to our faith. Yes, it matters what God did, what Jesus did, what the Holy Ghost did. But all of that will be of no benefit to your life if you don't believe. That's why you're hearing me say again and again today, what do you believe? John 11, starting with verse 11, Jesus gets word that one of his really, really good friends, Lazarus, He would go to Lazarus' house and hang out with Lazarus and his sisters. They were close. They spent time fellowshipping together. How many know if Jesus had friends and needed friends, you should have friends too? If Jesus can hang at people's houses and hang out with them, you can go to a faith group. You better than Jesus? All right. So they get news. That Lazarus, his really good friend, is sick. And you might think that if Jesus is your close friend, Jesus is your best friend, Jesus is your BFF, you think that if he hears I'm sick, I'm good because Jesus is coming and he's going to come to my house, heal me, and I'm going to be good, right? That's how much what you would expect. That's what he did before to random strangers. But they said, oh, your friend Lazarus is sick. Okay. And he stayed in that same city two days. And he told them, this sickness is not going to end in death, but it will result in the glory of God. And he stayed put. And then when he pick up in verse 11, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Notice how Jesus phrases things. He knows Lazarus has died. But he said he's asleep. Because if he's asleep, it's a temporary situation. You're going to wake up. So the situation in front of Jesus is only temporary. I'm going to wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he's doing good. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought not that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may what? Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now, one of the reasons the disciples didn't want Jesus to go into this area is because they've been threatening to kill Jesus. They've been threatening to stone Jesus. And so Jesus said, I'm going to go there. And they said, why are you going to go? They've been trying to kill you. So notice faith filled Thomas' response. Let us also go that we may die with him. That's a lot of faith, a lot of belief right there. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he has raised someone from the dead who's been dead only a few minutes. He's raised someone from the dead who's been dead one day. But now this person has been dead four days. And Jewish mythology and customs of that time, they thought the spirit was close to them in the first three days, but after the fourth day, it's impossible for someone to be raised from the dead. So Jesus comes into the city, and many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. 
Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it you. Sounds like someone believes something. Jesus says unto her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. To her, the resurrection was just an event in the future. But notice what Jesus said unto her. I am the resurrection and the life. You think the resurrection is an event, but you didn't realize it's a person. And his name is Jesus. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believest thou this. Notice what he stops and says. Do you believe what I just said? What do you believe? She says unto him, yea, Lord, supreme in authority, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, the master has come and calls for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, she goes into the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which became with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. We don't have a high priest who can't associate with what we go through. He went through it too. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, come unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Even though Jesus knew the outcome, Jesus still had emotions. Your emotions aren't evil. Your emotions aren't wrong, but your emotions have to be in control. The weeping of Jesus did not keep him from moving forward to the resurrection. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Get this thing out the way. To him, the stone is no problem. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, says unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks. He has been dead for four days. In her mind, she's going back natural. He's going to grieve. He wants to see the body. He wants closure. But that wasn't the purpose of Jesus to show up that day. Notice what he said. Said I not unto you that if you would believe, you should see the glory of God. Come on, what do you believe? And if you believe it, you will see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. This is what Jesus believes. And I knew that you hear me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may what? That thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary 
and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. The whole thing is about what will you believe. Notice it took the belief of Jesus as well as the belief of Martha and Mary and Lazarus was raised from the dead. You might think, well, I don't know somebody who's going to believe with me to this level. But we had Brother Jesse with us a few weeks ago, and he said, the Lord told him one day, I'll be here too. If you can't find, any, find anyone else to believe with you what you're believing for, I'll believe with you. And it will come to pass. What is dead in your life that you've given up on? That you think it cannot rise again? My question to you is not how long it's been dead or how bad is it. My question to you is what do you believe? Go back to Mark 16. Mark 16 verse 4. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Now, the thing is, Jesus was raised from the dead before the stone moved. The stone wasn't moved so Jesus could get out. The stone was moved so people could get in and their perspective and belief can be changed. And entering to the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened, they were afraid. And he says unto them, be not afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. The angel said exactly what Jesus said has come to pass. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man for they were afraid. So they didn't tell anybody else except the disciples and those who were gathered with them. They weren't telling anybody else what was the main reason. They were afraid. Fear will keep you from obeying God. Fear will keep you from stepping out and doing the impossible. Fear will keep you from living the beyond life. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. If you allow fear to stay in your life, like we said last week, there will be a place for torment to stay in your life. If you allow fear to stay in your life, there will be a place where the enemy can attack from inside your house, inside your heart. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. You have to flush fear out. How do you flush out fear? By believing that God loves you. That he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That if you believe that and you say that and you think that and you sing that continually, fear cannot stay. But if you always feed on fear, you will be a fear-filled or person full of fear. So if all you're doing is watching the news and watching fake news, because a lot of people see stuff on social media and say, oh, it has to be true. That is a fake website. <laughs> but people are so full of fear, they believe it. So every day they feed on fear, feed on fear, and expect what they are afraid of to come to pass. I heard someone define fear as faith and the belief that the devil can harm you. 
So they keep feeding their fear, and they're now more devil conscious than God conscious. And so they're always going around, something bad's going to happen to me. Something bad is going to happen to me. It happens to me in threes. This thing happened today. This thing happened today. Something worse is about to happen to me. They're so full of fear, they are pulling things out of hell to hit their life. They open the doors for Satan to get them because they are afraid. And why is the church acting like the world and just as afraid? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes, you do. You got a Bible. And you got the Holy Ghost. You know what's going to happen. So stop feeding your fear and feed your faith. But some people only feed their faith one time a year. And if that's the only time you feed your faith, you will be a fear-filled person and won't live the beyond life or walk in the power of the resurrection. You have to feed your faith continually. Your faith was designed to grow. But it doesn't just grow and stay there and now you have your super faith giant for the rest of your days. Faith has to continually be fed. How do you feed faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you keep yourself in a place where you continually hear the word of God on a consistent basis and then your faith will grow. So go to Luke 24, verse 9, and pick up the story. Luke 24, verse 9. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. The question is, what do you believe? So what happened? They were so full of fear and joy, they saw vision. When he studied it out, there are multiple angels, not just one. There's one angel that moved a stone, sat on the stone, and chilled out. There's two angels sitting on the inside, two angels that appear over here. They're seeing angels everywhere. They're concerned, they're afraid, but they're thinking it could be true. So when they run back into all those with the apostles, they said, hey, we saw all these angels, but they also moved the body of Jesus, so we don't know where his body is, but the angel said he's alive. So they're telling both stories, and so frantic, it sounds like idle tales. Another Greek word for it, it sounds like they're just running on babbling. They don't know what they're saying. How many of you, if you ran into all those angels and ran back as fast as you could, you may not have the most developed speech yet? So they don't know what they believe yet. The apostles and those with them don't believe. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Peter saw the evidence, but it does not say he believed. It said he wondered. Wonder is not belief. Keep a finger here and go to John 20. What do you believe? So you see in verse 1 and 2 that Mary Magdalene runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and says unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, 
And, you know, John wrote this book, and he's the other disciple, and he likes to point out by the Holy Ghost that he outrun Peter, that he was faster than Peter, that Peter was slow, and came first to the sepulcher, and he's stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then comes Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and sees the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and what? Peter and John saw the same thing, only one believed. One wondered, one believed. Now, why was it so important that everything was folded and organized? See, in the Jewish custom, that after you finished a meal, if it was an amazing meal that you enjoyed, you'd ball up your napkin, throw it on your plate as a sign, this was great, I enjoyed everything, I will come back again. But if you finished your meal and it was terrible, you folded your napkin and you put it aside saying, I will never come back to this place again. I have no need to ever come back to this place. So Jesus rose from the grave, defeated all of hell. Colossus says he threw off principalities and power, gave Satan the biggest butt whooping he's ever seen, hasn't recovered from. Comes up from hell, defeating sin, death, the grave, and curse, gets up in his body, Folds the napkin saying, I have no need to go there again. I don't like my service. I don't like how I was treated. I'm done with them forever. Time to move. What do you believe? In the mind of Jesus, everything associated with hell was settled forever. Your shame was handled. Your sin was handled. Your condemnation was handled. Your sickness was handled. Your disease was handled. Your lack was handled. Your poverty was handled. Your fear was handled. Everything hell had in its arsenal was handled. So Jesus folded the napkin and said, it's done. It is finished. Go back to Luke 24. What do you believe? Because see, your belief can stop and believe that Jesus only handled your salvation so you know you're forgiven and going to heaven. And if that's where your belief stops, that's all you will receive. But that's just the opening to the door. There's so much more for you. Luke 24, picking up where we left off. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Remember, he had told the women, tell them to go gather. I'm going to come see them. These two disciples are going the wrong direction. How many of you have ever gone the wrong direction in your life? And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk? And why are you so sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. So they began to tell Jesus about what happened to Jesus. 
and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted, we believed that it had been he which had redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. When they found out his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, Peter and John, and found it even so as the women have said, but him they saw not. Then Jesus said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to what? All that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, all the prophets he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but he, they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and he blessed it, and break, and gave to them. There's different people who believe what different reasons what just happened. But remember, if you follow Jesus, you knew he would bless things. You know he would speak the blessing. He knew he would give thanks. But as he broke the blood and he blessed it, he revealed his hands. There's holes in those hands. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while we opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and says, Peace be unto you. Because they had locked all the doors because they were afraid they were next. They were afraid the Jewish leaders would kill them. So they locked all the doors. These two people run back from the road to Emmaus. They come and say, hey, here's what just happened. And as they're talking, Jesus transports in there. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Go back to Mark 16. What do you believe? Are you slow to believe? One of the things we learn from this passage as well as 1 Corinthians Jesus appeared to Peter and had an unrecorded conversation with him. You'll see that, why that's important in a few moments. Go back to Mark 16. All these things we're reading right now happen on the first day. Jesus had a mission that first day raised from the dead was to get his disciples to believe. That was the mission of Jesus. What do you believe? And notice the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. These two disciples were going the wrong way in unbelief. Jesus had so many important things he could have done, but he went and met these people going the wrong way. And he told them, he manifested himself to them, you may be going the wrong way in your life today, but the mercy of God is big enough for you. The mercy of God is like a GPS. That if you're driving and you go the wrong direction, you know, after the collapse of 85, a lot of us have been learning different ways to get around. Testing your patience and your love walk. And so as you're driving around, you can make a wrong turn. But if you have a GPS, all it's going to do is update. 
Go this way. You made a wrong turn, but go this way. It doesn't fuss you out. It doesn't talk about how you're a horrible person and all the things you've done for shame. It just updates. The mercy of God is so strong. It does not matter what you have done in your life. If you turn back to Jesus, the mercy of God will kick in and get you to the place you are always supposed to be because he is good and his mercy endures forever. Mark 16. Verse 14, after he appeared unto the loving as they sat at me and upbraided them, what do you get onto them about? With their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. The key thing is you didn't believe. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And you keep going, all the things God would do to work with them, the key thing is, if they believe. So he got on to his early disciples about what do you believe? But then, in their midst, you go to John 20, that all the 11 were there, but Thomas wasn't there. So they go tell Thomas, Jesus is alive, Peter has seen him, we have seen him, the women have seen him, the road to Emmaus, they have seen him, all these things have happened. But Thomas makes his bold declaration that everyone remembers, unless I put my fingers in the holes of his hand and in his side, I will not believe. So eight days later, see how many of you have missed out on something that God has done because you weren't there? Come on, Thomas, where else did you have to be? And the thing is, at least he had people who cared about him to go and tell him. So if you see one of your brothers and sisters missing in action, go and find where they are. Well, I just don't feel like going to church. You bring them to church. You encourage them in the Lord. And so Jesus appears and says, hey, Thomas, put your fingers in my hand, your hand in my side. And he says, my Lord and my God. Doesn't even say he did it. He believed. He saw. But then Jesus said, blessed are they that believe and have not seen. See, all of you in here that believe, you didn't see what these early disciples have seen. And Jesus called you blessed. The blessing is connected to what you believe. So John 20. What do you believe? The key is believing. Everybody believes something, and what they believe directs how they live their life. You may say, well, I don't believe anything. You believe something. You believe in doing whatever you feel like doing. That is a belief system. What do you believe? John 20, verse 30, and many other signs truly that Jesus and the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. It's all about what you believe. Because see, you could be unsaved. You can be a sinner on your way to hell. But Jesus has done everything that it takes for you to be saved, for you to be forgiven, and you to go to heaven. But if you don't believe, it will not make a personal difference in your life. 
John 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. To, they were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, or twin, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter says unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with you. Now, Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead, but Peter goes fishing. Why? He believes that Jesus is alive. He has seen him. He has declared it. But now he does not believe he is qualified to do his call. He denied Jesus three different times. So although he believes in Jesus, he doesn't believe in what God said about him. He is ashamed. He feels the sting of the pain of the past of his mistakes. So he says, I'm going to go back to what I used to do. I'm going back to my old life before I follow Jesus, before I encounter Jesus, because I'm not worthy to follow him anymore. I'm too ashamed. I've done too much wrong, so I'm going to go back to what I know. So as they're fishing, they fish all night and catch nothing. The next morning, a man calls out from the seashore and says, sirs, have you caught anything? And it says, not a thing. He says, put the net to the side of the boat. They obey, and it's filled with fish. And John says, Peter, that's the Lord. Peter jumps in the water, swims to Jesus. They had, all the disciples have dinner together. They didn't need the fish that they called. Jesus already had fish and bread waiting for them. He'd already made them dinner. They have a conversation with Jesus, and afterwards, Jesus pulled Peter aside. Peter. Do you love me? Of course, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Lord, of course I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon Peter, do you love me? And it says that the last time he was grieved, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And then he says, follow me. What did Jesus just do? He restored Peter to his office. He denied three times, but Jesus restored him three times. Peter was ashamed. Jesus took the shame. Remember Hebrews 12 says he despised the shame on the cross because everything about the cross was shameful. He took the shame of Peter on that cross. He didn't even bring up his denial. He brought up his future. You may be in this place and you may be saved, but you think, I've done too many things wrong. I'm ashamed of my past. I feel guilty. Because of the work of the cross, you have no right to feel guilty anymore. Because of the work of the cross, you have no right to be ashamed anymore. Jesus bore your shame. Jesus bore your guilt. Jesus took your mistakes. Jesus took your pain. God does not see you as some old sinner, some messed up person who needs a lot of help. He sees you as pure and as perfect as Jesus himself because you received the work of the blood because you believed but in order for that to be the reality in your thinking you don't just have to believe that Jesus is the son of God you have to believe that you are forgiven and that the shame has been dealt with that's how you go beyond hallelujah so go to Romans 10 Romans 10, what do you believe? Let's begin to wrap this thing up. 
Romans 10, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in your heart who shall ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what says it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice the progression of faith. You believe, then you speak. Belief and faith cannot stop with you just believing something privately in your heart. It doesn't become active and effective until you open your mouth and you say something. All of you in here who've been born again, you've been saved. You believe that Jesus died, that God raised him from the dead. You believe that he's the son of God, and then you said something. You did what the scripture said, and that faith received the redemption, resurrecting power of God, and you were born again as pure and as perfect as Jesus himself. It didn't stop with belief and moved on to your speech. That is the kingdom process. It's not just for salvation. It's for everything in the word of God. It's not enough just to believe it. It has to change your speech patterns. It's not just about what you say one day. It's what you say consistently. You can have what you say. You are the prophet over your own life. If you don't like what you see in front of you, change what you've been saying. But the progression of faith goes further. James 2.20 says, without corresponding action, faith is dead. So that means you must believe, then you must speak, then you must, as the first lady already told you, line up your actions to match what you believe. So you can't say, well, I believe God, and I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and not do it. Or walk around always sad and depressed. That is not belief, and that is not faith in action. You must believe, you must speak, and then you must line up your life to match what you believe. Because if you don't, it shows what you actually believe. Because whatever you believe is what you'll continually say and what you'll continually do. But the only way to get your faith strong enough to a point where it changes your actions is by continually hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. When you were born again, the very glory of God, the very power of God that raised Jesus from the dead moved in on the inside of you. If you're a believer, it's in you now. Colossians 1.27 Christ says, Christ in you, the hope or the expectation of glory. You should have an expectation to see the glory of God in your life. But how would it get there? Remember what Jesus said to the sisters, if you believe, 
you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God in your life. We've been singing songs all day about the resurrecting power of God. What is dead in your life? What have people given up on in your life? What have you thought, it cannot be changed in my life? I'm telling you, the glory of God is enough to raise it up. If the glory of God, the Spirit of God himself, can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise every single dead situation in your life. It's not too late, and it's not over with. If you have breath in your body, it can still change. But if you believe that, you have to talk like it. And then you got to act like it if you want the glory of God to show up in your life. Last scripture, go to 2 Corinthians 12. You must believe. You must speak. You must act. Then there's one more key. If you want this glory to manifest in your life, to take you beyond. It's time to live beyond what we've seen. It's time to live beyond what we've experienced. God has more for us. It's a year of fabulous outpourings from heaven. It's raining over our life. Romans, no, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Notice what it says. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Buffet means to hit again and again, lest I should be exalted above measure. So one of the things that you studied out, God has been working in Paul's life. He's become a local celebrity, making an impact for the kingdom of God, making Jesus famous wherever he goes. Satan doesn't like that, so he assigns a demon to go and hit him again and again and again. You see how he attacked him through affliction in 2 Corinthians 11. But notice Paul's response. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. On the third time, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of the anointed one and his anointing, that's what Christ means, may rest upon me. In the scripture, grace is defined as the power of God. So Paul says, instead of complaining about my situation, affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. Instead of complaining about what I'm going through, instead of saying, God, just take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. God replied to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. So what is Paul's response to that revelation from heaven? I will glory in the midst of my pressure. That's what tribulation means. The word glory means to boast. It also means to rejoice. When it says take pleasure, it means to think well of. So he said, instead of being down, instead of being depressed, instead of being sad, in the middle of my pressure, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to think well of my situation. 
Instead of thinking this situation is going to take him out, I'm going to start saying this is a situation that's going to show up in the glory of God. Just like Jesus said about Lazarus, it's not going to end in death. It's going to end up in the glory of God. So instead of saying my situation is too much for me, I can't handle it. His grace, his power is sufficient. So I will rejoice so that the power of God can come on me. And if the power of God comes on me, I can handle this dead thing in my life. What is dead in your life? You need to believe. You need to speak. You need to act. And then you need to praise. Because if that is your lifestyle, you will have a lifestyle of the power of God always working in your life. And if the power of God can raise Jesus from the dead, the power of God can handle every situation in your life. And it's available to you today. But you must believe. You must speak. You must act. And then you need to rejoice. How do we rejoice? We rejoice like it's already done. Not like it's going to happen, like it's already settled. See, the noise of the Braves Stadium shouldn't be louder of this church praising God. It's okay to get loud at SunTrust Park, but if they win, it's not going to do anything for you unless you work for them. But Jesus already won. Jesus already gave you the victory. So it manifesting in your life is only a matter of time. So what do you do in the meantime? You believe, you speak, you act, and you rejoice in expectation of the glory of God. You see, God's been moving, doing amazing things in us as a church. But we're about to go to a whole new level. We're about to go into the beyond. Living the beyond life in the Ephesians 3.20 life exceedingly, abundantly, far above all you can ask, think, pray for, or imagine. That's where we're going to. But you have to do these four things if you want to see it happen. So how many believe that the glory of God can handle it? Say the glory of God is more than enough in my situation. So stand to your feet. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity to act like what you believe is so. I'm going to give you an opportunity to praise God like you expect a flood of his power to hit your situation. You may be some of the people where I'm very dignified. Well, that's okay to be dignified, but there comes a point where you put your dignity aside when it comes to giving God glory. You say, well, my hair looks nice. That's okay. We can all leave with the same hairstyle. It won't bother you. Well, I have a nice suit. You can sweat out your suit. Because what is a sweated out suit when the glory of God shows up? You have an opportunity to step into the beyond today. So before we go, we're going to rejoice. Before we go, we're going to dance in the spirit. Before we go, we're going to clap our hands. We're going to shout. We may even run a little bit. Because we're about to boast in the glory of God. And we know he's going to show up in our lives. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Three, two, one. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God.
rejoicing. I began to think how we're about to move into and build a debt-free building. And all the other people who are going to get saved and healed and delivered and changed forever. So give me another reason to go, glory to God. Enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked Him into your heart, you've never made Him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, you raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.